I would like you to take your Bibles and turn to me again to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm going to read uh, the chapter this morning as we start. I know that this is the third or fourth Sunday in a row that we have read this chapter, uh, but we are making progress. We look at things in little pieces, but we're making progress slowly through this chapter. Maybe, Lord willing, we'll finish chapter 1 next week, uh, but we're going to read it again because context is so important when you read the Bible. So we're going to read all of chapter 1, and then um, we'll just look at a little bit of it this morning. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecution and trials you are suffering, enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, John Newton, the author of the hymn Amazing Grace, once asked his audience, his congregation, to imagine a, his, a man on his way to New York City. Maybe you have heard this before. man was going to New York City. Uh, he lives about 50 miles north of the city, and he was uh, a, a, a middle-class, solidly middle-class man. He was a shopkeeper or a farmer or um, a craftsman. One day, though, he died and got a, uh, He didn't die. One day he got a letter from an attorney about a relative of his who had died. Somebody he didn't even know, actually, didn't know existed, but this distant relative died and left him a fortune. You all hope you have a relative like that somewhere, don't you? Well, more money than you could ever spend in ten lifetimes. The only thing he had to do was go down to New York City and claim it. So he got in his carriage and he started on the, on the road down uh, so long time ago, John Newton's illustration. So, uh, but this man was traveling down and his carriage, long time ago, his carriage hit a rut in the ground and snapped with the front axle snap. John Newton says, how foolish, how foolish would we consider that man to be when he, to stand over his carriage and lament, my carriage, my carriage, my carriage, when a fortune, an immense fortune, is just a few miles down the road. One of my goals today is to help you see more clearly the value of the treasure that awaits all who are followers of Jesus Christ. It's just a little further down the road. 
or maybe to return to an image that I used when we first started Second Thessalonians. Uh, remember, uh, one of the great uh, of all the many joys that are involved in a wedding day, sitting in the auditorium and waiting for the wedding to begin is not one of them. Uh, there's some joys. Uh, Maybe you like to look at the flowers or you're enjoying listening to the pianist play or maybe you're sitting next to someone you know and you can have a little conversation there. But, but no, one, no one makes the mistake of, of saying that that is the highlight of the day. No one ever comes to a wedding half an hour before it starts and sits in the auditorium so that two minutes before it starts they can get up and go home because the best part is over. No one does that. Uh, I, I want you to realize and understand that this life is like that waiting. It is not, nor can it ever be, the climax of your existence. And one of the challenges uh, uh, as we read the Bible is embedding in your mind and your heart a deep sense of that reality. Not just knowing it, but feeling its weight. Uh, This morning, the text we have before us moves us in that direction. This is a text about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, his unveiling, and the encouragement that we get from his return. What effect does that day have on this day? Here's our topic. What I want to do is I want to set before you three joys of that great day. I want to whet your appetite for that day that is to come by talking with you about the joys that are there for us just a few miles down the road. So here they are. Here's the first one. Vindication. Vindication. We're slowly making our way through Second Thessalonians. We've learned so far that the Thessalonian people are a suffering people. They're enduring persecution, uh, fines, public criticism, maybe public beatings, maybe imprisonment. But in the midst of that persecution that they're suffering, they're flourishing. They're growing in their love for one another, their faith in the Lord Jesus. And to encourage them in the midst of their suffering, Paul points to the justice of God. And this justice, according to Paul, has two different aspects. We talked about one of them last week. Verses 6 and 7 talk about this. God is just. There is trouble for those who trouble you. We talked about that last week. But the second aspect of this justice of God is in verse 7, and it says, He will give relief to you who are troubled. Relief. Your translation might say rest. Uh, Paul uses this word often, this word relief, this word rest. When he does, he often does it in contrast with affliction or trouble. So there's trouble and there's rest. Trouble, the word trouble or affliction is a squeezing word. Pressure comes, there's a squeezing. Relief is just the opposite. It means to release the pressure. It's like unstringing a taut bowstring. You take that tension off of the string and off of the bow. Relief gives you room to breathe. God's going to bring relief. Now, we spent a fair amount of time last week talking about uh, the eternal trouble that those who are opposing the Thessalonians would experience, that eternal torment. In in fact, verse 9 says, eternal destruction. And it's going to come upon all those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And I really hope you felt the weight of that. We should think soberly about that, carefully about it. And yet, as we read the rest of the the New Testament passage here, this chapter, 
Paul did not write about the eternal destruction of those who do not obey God in order to crush the Thessalonians. He didn't do it to to silence them. He didn't do it to make them somber or discourage them. He actually wrote it to give them life, to encourage them, to give them light and hope and, and confidence. It helps them endure. It helps them move. Now, how can that be? The reason that God's justice encourages the Thessalonians and the reason that it should encourage you is because Jesus is coming back to defend his people. That's why he's coming, to vindicate their faithfulness. And the point of this very detailed, long description of God's justice is to show you that the one who's coming, this champion, the one who's coming to make all things right, is indisputably powerful. He is coming to conquer on behalf of his people and no foe will be able to stand against him. Right now, the Thessalonians, they're bowed down. They're way down under this persecution. They feel it maybe from the leaders of Thessalonica, from their neighbors, from their family members. Pressure from the whole Roman Empire is coming down upon them. But all of those people are no match for Jesus. He's coming from heaven. He's coming in blazing fire. He's coming with his powerful angels to vindicate and defend and rescue his people. That's why Paul writes about uh, this, their endurance as evidence of God's justice. You're enduring, and it is proof that Jesus on Judgment Day when he comes is making a wise decision to rescue you and to punish those who are persecuting you. There's a scene in every superhero movie or every uh, television show or comic book. There's a scene, it's a staple of the genre. It usually takes place near the end before the climactic battle. The lovely heroine has found herself captured by the, by the villain uh, the, in the evil clutches of the villain. Uh, maybe like Lois Lane, the, 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 the female character is... is is a little pushy, and she marched her way into trouble. So maybe she's like Nell Fenwick. She was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, or, or she got kidnapped. Um, but there she is. You see it. She's held at gunpoint. She's tied to a, tear, a chair. She's in trouble. And then you're watching this, and you hear it, the soundtrack. It's very soft at first, but if you listen, you can hear it. It starts to get a little louder. Bum, ba-da-dum. And there he comes to save the day. And, and he's, he's on his way. It doesn't matter. It's the Lone Ranger or Superman or Batman or Wonder Woman. When they come at that moment, you want them to come in full force with all of their powers. They break down the walls, smash through the doors. It doesn't matter. You want them to come rested and ready, armed to the teeth. And the Lord Jesus is coming, and oh boy, is he that. And more. He's, he's coming to defend his people, to vindicate them. You remember one of the verses of the hymn, Praise to the Lord the Almighty? I think it's the second one. Uh, Praise to the Lord who doth prosper thy work and defend thee. Surely his goodness and mercy here daily attend thee. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he befriend thee. Oh, he's coming to defend his people. Vindication is coming. 
I know we talked about this a lot last week, the the retribution side of God's justice, but this passage and others like it show that when he comes, the work of judgment is actually incidental to his primary purpose. Don't think that the Lord Jesus, when he is coming, is coming primarily looking for the wicked and that smiting people is really what he loves. God is not in heaven really hoping today that somebody messes up royally enough that he can smite them because he just loves to smite people. That's that's not what the Bible teaches. Retribution is secondary to his primary purpose, which is the establishment of the new age. Jesus is coming to clean house so that he can live with his people in a clean house. I was reading Ezekiel a little bit this week. Turn with me. I know this is not in your notes or anything, but if you want to, you can turn with me to Ezekiel 33. I want to show you something that's very important in this text. Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel's to the left of 2 Thessalonians. It's a big prophecy in the Old Testament. You'll be able to see it, find it. And I want you to look at Ezekiel 33. There's a verse I want to show you here that's very important. You should remember this. Ezekiel 33, um, starting at verse 10. Here we have Ezekiel as a, it's a dark book. It is filled with God's judgment, God's wrath, God's coming to, to punish those in rebellion against him. But look at Ezekiel 33, verse 10. Look what it says. Son of man, say to the Israelites, this is what you are saying. Our offenses and sins weigh us down and we are wasting away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? God is coming to vindicate his people and to rescue them. And and, and he is not with joy and delight looking for people to smite. You can see a little bit more of this here. Look at verse 27 of Ezekiel 33. Say this to them, as surely as as I live, those who are left in the ruins will fall by the sword. Here's judgment. Those who are left in the ruins will fall by the sword. Those out in the country I will give to the wild animals to be devoured. And those in strongholds and caves will die of plague. I will make the land a desolate waste and her proud strength will come to an end. And the mountains of Israel will become desolate so that no one will cross them. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I have made the land a desolate waste because of all the detestable things they have done. What is God trying to do when he comes? When the Lord Jesus comes, he is going to establish his absolute supremacy and you will know, it will be clear to all that he is God. We have friends, uh, we have friends you have them too, they recently moved to the Basque region of France. Uh, Mark and Stacy Niles and their children, uh, Isaac and Maria and Elliot. They moved to the Basque region of France, and, and one of the first things they did, they were looking for a house, but, uh, but temporarily they lived in an old hotel. I believe it was a hotel that Stacy's family used to own years ago. It's been sitting empty for a, a long time. Well, Mark and Stacy walked in and knew immediately that they had a lot of work to do because there was mold, and it was dusty, and it was dirty, and they're supposed to move their children into this hotel. Well, they got to work. They scrubbed and scrubbed and polished and, and, and did everything they can to, to clean out rooms for them to, to move into. They were cleaning this hotel so that their family could move in. They did not clean the hotel because Mark and Stacy loved to dust or loved to eradicate mold. 
They don't go from house to house in France and say, do you have dust? We'd love to get rid of it. Can we get rid of your dust? They don't do that. They were cleaning it out so they could live there with their family. Jesus is returning to usher in a new age for his people to vindicate them, to by this enactment of justice display that those who follow him have chosen wisely. You know what this means? This vindication means that you are not ultimately responsible for defending yourself or for defending Jesus for that matter. I'm not talking about self-defense. I'm not talking about apologetics, that, that intellectual defense of the faith. There were the endeavors. But we have to remember that Jesus is the one who will ultimately vindicate himself. He's the one who will show the folly of rejecting him and his people. You don't have to win every time. You don't have to have the final word every time. You don't have to be able to answer every objection that everyone has and remove every obstacle. There's some rest in that. You should work hard at representing Jesus, but he is going to defend himself. Vindication is coming from him. Can you join me this morning, brothers and sisters, in saying with the Apostle John, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Vindication. Now, vindication is the first joy that the coming of the Lord Jesus brings. Here's the second one, glorification. Glorification. We're going to spend the rest of our time in uh, verse 10, two phrases that are in verse 10. And uh, um, so let's look at it again here, verse 10. On the day that he comes, 